Hey guys, and welcome back to The Curious Curators. I'm Hope. And I'm Lindsay. And happy Women's History Month. Yeah. So, if you can't guess by me saying that, our next couple of episodes will focus on women's history. Yeah, uh, March has five Tuesdays, so expect a lot on that. Yes, a little bit of housekeeping. If you hear any really loud noises, we're in the middle of a construction zone. <laughs> we're doing renovations at the museum and... Uh, not a not a quiet uh, activity. Yeah, so we will try to edit any out, but we really can't make any guarantees at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it might be loud. So we do apologize if that's the case, but we can't help it anymore. Yeah. So today, we are going to talk about a fun one. Today, we're going to talk about women warriors. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
But Boudicca was a real person, and she actually lived in about 60, well, about 60, 61 AD CE is how, is like when she really like became popular. But she was a queen of a British Celtic tribe called the Iceni, I-C-E-N-I, in case you speak um, Gaelic better than I do. And she actually led an uprising against Rome. And I always love a good fight against the Romans. So. And Horrible Histories has a great song about her, too. Yeah. So watch that Horrible History show, too, because we could, like, we plug them as often as we can. <laughs> but um, Boudicca was of royal descent, but her husband was the king. And then, like, he died, and she just, she became the queen. And when Claudius, the emperor of Rome... Okay. In case anyone wasn't sure just about that. Just to clarify which Claudius we're talking about. The emperor Claudius, not the accountant Claudius. Yeah. Except for, you know, who knows. But anyway, so in 43, Claudius decided to try to take over Britain. Um, and they actually allied with the Romans. And that allowed them to remain independent. Because that was kind of a thing that happened if you were on Rome's side, Rome would grant you some favors. And one of those favors is allowing your tribe or city or whatever to remain independent with just a Roman governor. So, I will say... A lot of our information comes from, like, a man called Cassius Dio. He is a Which historian. sounds like a fantastic metal band name. It kind of does. And he is a Roman historian. Why are we not surprised? And he, he wrote about Boudicca um, in one of the 80-plus volumes of history that he had published. So he was a very busy man. And he actually described her. So we have something there. Um, he says that she is tall with tawny hair, which I think is like reddish, reddish, brownish blonde. I thought, I thought tawny hair was like a light brown, dark blonde. So she had tawny hair and it hung down be below her waist, a harsh voice and a piercing glare. You Thank know, you, sir. Not to skip ahead a little bit, but I have somebody on mine that was described almost exactly like that so one of mine just very interesting that is very interesting and because and also like halfway across the world yeah so, so they didn't know each other i guess the piercing glare and harsh yep. voice piercing glare um, harsh voice really tall so good old cassius dio was also super interested in clothes i guess because he gave us a rundown of what Boudicca always Ooh, wore Ooh, i love that i do too actually so she wore a gold necklace possibly like a torque which is like a thing that sits like around your throat like a little chokery type thing um that's gold and heavy and a colorful tunic and a heavy cloak fastened with a brooch brooch how would you say that brooch mm-hmm. and I think that's, like, duh, it's cold there. So of course, she was wearing a cloak because it was cold. Anyway, so let's get on to the rebellion. I'm just kind of upset that you didn't dress like Boudicca today. I don't have... I wear a choker. I was about to say, you wear a choker all the time. You don't have a gold choker and a colorful tunic and a cloak. What, what kind of historian are you? I'm literally the worst. My hair is long, though, so at least I have that. <laughs> so... Around 60, 61, it seems to be just a little bit, I guess it was a longer process. Anyway, there was a rebellion. So there is the current governor of Britain. I'm not even going to mention his name because he's not important. Because we're not talking about a governor, we're talking about Boudicca. So he was leading this kind of campaign against an island called Mona. And the Iceni and a bunch of their neighbors were like, this is the perfect time to stage our rebellion. 
So Boudicca was actually chosen as the entire leader of the rebellion. So, which I think is really great. I think that it's great that all of these people got together and they were like, you know, who's going to be great? Boudicca, a woman, 10 out of 10. And she actually said, it was not as a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that I am avenging lost freedom, my scourged body, the outraged chastity of my daughters. And then she went on to say, this is a woman's resolve. As for men, they may live and be slaves. But all the men were still behind her, so good on you, girl. So in this rebellion, they were targeting specific cities that were held by Rome, larger cities. Um, the first of those was Camelodunum, which is modern-day Colchester. Okay. And they basically destroyed the entire city. And this is something that I think we've seen throughout a lot of things. There was a statue of Nero. They chopped off its head and carried it around with them to prove that they had, like, won that city. Mm-hmm. And archaeological evidence found in Colchester shows that the city was pretty much methodically destroyed all okay. the way throughout. So they finished there, and they moved on to one that's going to sound familiar to everyone. Londinium. Where could that be? Who knows? Could it be modern-day London? Nah. Too so, obvious. Too obvious. The one, the one place that kept its name. Londinium. So... After the Romans came in... That sounds in, like somebody making up a Roman name. It really does. Londinium. Um, after the Romans came in, Londinium became like a big commercial center. Um, I would say because it's centrally located, but it really isn't, so I'm not sure why. Anyway, and the rebels were marching on London. So they basically decided, we're going to let the city fall okay. in order to save the entire province. Okay. So the Romans didn't think that they could fight inside the city, so they abandoned it. Okay. Because, you know, the Roman army. So they abandoned it, and archaeological finds there show that there was a thick layer of burned debris, and underneath that they found coins and pottery that dated to before 60 AD. And um, Roman-era skulls were found in Walbrook, which is an area in London, and they're thought to be victims of a massacre. Basically, if you didn't leave with the Roman army, you died. Okay. And further excavations, so I'm not sure exactly how you go about excavations in a city full of, like, millions of people, but um, they have them. But I do know that they have them. I think that would be very difficult. But they've found that this destruction actually goes like on both sides of the river thames so it was a very big area that was destroyed and then they moved on to their last city it's called Vruualamum or something along that nature it is modern day saint albans and that is pretty much thought to be the next city destroyed because archaeological evidence there has found that there were like rows of shops and everything that were also burned. They found that in the 1950s. The first excavations there were in the 1930s. And um, they didn't find anything because they were searching outside of the area of Roman occupation. Um, but we have talked multiple times about early 20th century archaeology. So it's we're prob- big fans. It's probably for the best that they were searching in the wrong spot. Yeah. But Is that an Indiana Jones reference? <laughs> They're digging in the wrong place. It was more of a, like, Heinrich Schliemann bash, but it's whatever. <laughs> so I think we all know what always happens with the Roman army, right? They rally because there's a lot of them. Oh, I thought, I thought there was going to be a decimation because that's usually what I think about 
Just wait for it. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. I got so, I got ahead of the narrative. Sorry. The Romans rallied. The place of their okay. rallying is currently unknown. But they think that it is probably along the Roman road known as Watling Street. Okay. And I'm like, that's the best thing you can come up with? But, okay. So, the Roman troops were super outnumbered, but they ended up emerging victorious. So, I am not a, like battle strategist but from what i understood reading this is they probably get paid a lot more if you were a battle strategist i know i think that would actually be kind of a cool job but what i understand is they sort of funneled the troops like the british troops that were coming or the troops that britons i guess because they weren't british yet but the troops that were coming they funneled them into like a small area and then they had like archers and spear throwers and everything that could wipe out large numbers at once before more came in and the same thing would happen um, which, I don't know, you would think that you would see that happening and come up with a new plan, but, again... Not a battle strategist. Again, the military is never going to hire me for that. So, um... But I don't I'm know, sh- they might hear this podcast and go, she said they probably shouldn't have done that still. <laughs> Clearly a battle genius. If you need a battle strategist, you know where to find me. Um, and they actually said that Boudicca's army was 230 through 300,000 strong. That's a big number. I can't believe there were that many people in Britain. the aisle. Me either. At the um, time. Me either. And I did read a lot of things that said that ancient numbers might be exaggerated. Well. But, but I mean, who are we to know? Maybe it was a very densely populated back then. Okay. Okay. So... They were kind of massacred. And do you want to know what happened to Boudicca? It would be nice to know, wouldn't it? It would be great if we knew. But this is one of those things where they just don't really know. So Tacitus, another Roman historian, in case you couldn't tell by the name, said that she poisoned herself when she lost the battle. But then Cassius Dio, who we trust, haha said that she actually became ill and died and was given an extremely lavish funeral, like, fit for the ruler that she was. Okay. Which I think is a much nicer yeah. story yeah. that she just poisoned herself because she couldn't take losing. Um, but I won't say Boudicca was forgotten, but she wasn't a super, like, important figure until, like, Eliz- Elizabethan England. Okay. Elizabeth I. Um, kind of brought her to the forefront as, like, this important figure because she had, like, beat the Roman army or kind of messed with the Roman army and then whatever. But she was a strong female queen who was in power. And you could, you know, parallel that between Queen Elizabeth and she was trying to lead armies and the same kind of thing. But it was Queen Victoria who was queen for a very long time, so she had plenty of time to make people into legends. But... It was then that the story really became legendary. Um, Victoria was seen as Boudicca's namesake because their names actually mean the same thing. What do, What is that, Hope? It is to conquer, semicolon, victory. Who would have thought that Victoria meant victory? So Me, she, when we had this conversation earlier. Yeah, we already had this conversation because I was like, hey, do you know what they, so I'm just like, being their names are the same? And Lindsay was like, what does it mean? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't look that far yet. And I was like, maybe victory because of Victoria? Yeah, so she was important in her time. She kind of came back during the 15, 1600s, and then Queen Victoria was like, legendary. I'm sure she said it just like that, too. 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and now I think Boudicca is relatively well-known. I did reach out to Nicola, who I always ask questions when we talk about Scotland, and I was like, what can you tell me about Boudicca? She said, not a lot. <laughs> so there is that. But, yeah, Boudicca was the first one that really came to my mind. Okay. Um, I wasn't going to do this person first, but because she has so many parallels to Boudicca, I kind of want to talk about uh, Juti Jean. Um, and you know, Hope, it's funny because I looked up how to pronounce this Vietnamese name, and yet you still pronounce things wrong. You could look it up beforehand. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I'm being shady. <laughs> no, she's, Tacitus, she's not wrong. Is it Tacitus? Mm -hmm. Tactus? Oh, you're probably right. Look, I'm not even going to lie. I could look up how to, spell, how to say it, and in 2.3 seconds, I would have already forgotten. Well, that's why you write it down. Juti Jean. One of us is better at that. That would be Lindsay, because I was just thinking when you said her name, I was like, yep, leave it to Lindsay to just have a really hard name. Um, anyways, I was just being shady to hope. Uh, Juti Jean lived um, in 226 to 248. Um, she was, um, this was in northern Vietnam. Uh, basically, at this time, the Chinese controlled northern Vietnam. And Juti Jean was... We're not so sure about her early life. There, There's like one source that talks about her, where her parents died when she was young. She was raised by her older brother um, and her sister-in-law, who was not nice. Uh, I would say other words, but... Yeah. Um, PG. PG. <laughs> uh, We're a Disney show. There we go. Um... And according to this, she either, she killed her, her sister-in-law, and then ran away to either the mountains or the forest, or maybe a forest on a mountain. Right on. Sources said two different things. And gathered a bunch of people, about a thousand, to follow her to rebel against the Chinese occupation. Okay. So another rebellion of an occupate, a foreign occupation. Um, so she actually ended up leading 100 chiefs um, and 50,000 families. And they joined, she joined with another faction. So there were two factions that were fighting against Chinese occupation. And she joined with another one. Um, she was unmarried and she wore a yellow tunic into battle and called herself the Lady General clad in a golden robe. Okay, I like it. Um, I also call myself the Lady General, so... Right, there you go. Uh, this is my favorite quote, probably one of my favorite historical quotes ever, oh, from yes. her. Let's do it. I'd like to ride storms, kill orcas in the open sea, drive out aggressors, reconquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom, and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever man. Okay, girl. I was like... I don't want to kill the orcas, but uh, everything I don't else want to I'm kill the orcas, with. but I'm with you on every yeah, other everything thing. everything else I'm on board with. Yeah, I'm on board with everything else except the orca killing. Um, and she kind of became uh, aggrandized later. Um, people described... So the Chinese didn't mention her at all. I, uh, Southeast Asia was a little bit more... Uh, 
I don't want to say feminist because they weren't feminist, but women had more power in Southeast right. Asia. Uh, in China, they had very little power. Um, and they kind of, she was kind of a nuisance for them. Rebels were a dime a dozen. The fact that she was a woman warrior riding into battle, really, they didn't care. So all the stuff we have is from the Vietnamese perspective. And she short, sort of became legendary over time. They said she was nine feet tall and had a voice like a temple bell and like a piercing gaze that the Chinese couldn't even look at her. Oh, I like Lest it. they get her piercing gaze. She could eat like many rice pecks and could walk 500 leagues per day. And she had three foot long breasts that she threw over her shoulders when she rode into battle on top of an elephant. So she was super easy to hide then. She didn't right. stand out at all. Right. Love it. Love uh, it. And just like, uh, just like Boudicca, we really don't know what happened to her. Um, one source said she was defeated in battle because she fought this rebellion lasted for several months. Mm, okay. But the Chinese did end up quashing this rebellion. Um, and she was either defeated in battle or she committed, she left and committed suicide after she was defeated in battle. Right. Um, and I believe she was 21, maybe. That's so young. She was very young. Um, yeah, she was just shy of 22, I believe, when she died. That's so young. Yeah. So, um. That makes me feel so unaccomplished. I know. Leading rebellions, riding elephants, walking 500 leagues a day. I know. <laughs> and I'm just having 17 cups of coffee. I know. We're, the best. We can't even, we can't even walk one league a day and we're just, we're chugging coffee. I, I don't know what she was drinking, know, but, but. I need some too. Um, so she was, she was sort of a legendary Vietnamese he warrior. Was, yeah. Queen type figure. I like it. I like it. I've noticed, um. I noticed when I was researching both of mine, I don't know if you noticed this as well, I feel like they're always like, we don't know much about when she was younger. Like, we don't really know. No. Well, because women weren't significant in many societies until they made a mark. Right. It's, it just frustrates me because it's like you can read probably Cassius Dio here his entire life story. And, nobody and he ate, was just a historian. Yeah, you know what he ate for breakfast every day, but someone else probably wrote about him. Yeah. And I'm like... Men could accomplish very little and get written about, but women had to really yeah. stand out. I mean, she was leading 50,000 families. I don't yeah. know what the number would be on that, but 50,000 families into battle. Yeah. and they're like, Before oh, her name right got written down. That's it. That drives me absolutely insane. And the Chinese didn't even write about her. Yeah. They didn't care. That Stuff like that drives me absolutely insane. I'm like, it's so, it's so unnecessary to be like, oh, well, we just don't really know anything. Yeah. You can guess. You can at least tell us what women of that time period were like, maybe, and would have like been doing. And Somebody could have, could have asked her a few questions, like, yeah. "Hey, lady, nine foot tall lady on the elephant." Right. Do you have any family? Tell us yeah. something. Yeah, like that. It drives me absolutely crazy. I noticed that when I was researching both of mine. Is like, don't really say much. Or, or they tell you who her father was. Yep. And I'm like, that means that means nothing to me. What did he do? Yep. Nothing. We have. I have a discussion question for the end. So okay. We're fine. Well, I can I can do the other one that I have a short blurb okay. on. These two, there wasn't a whole lot of information on them, so we agreed to do two each. But I had such little information on these two that I ended up doing three. Um, but speaking of telling you who her father was, um, this is about Kudalun who was a 
Mongol uh, princess. She was born in 1260. She died in 1306. She was the daughter of Kaidu Khan. And he was either a cousin or a nephew of Kublai Khan. Two different sources said two different things. Right. He was a relative, a close relative of Kublai Khan. Um, she was her father's favorite out of her 14 brothers. Um, Go girl. And she would ride into battle with him. She was his military advisor. And it was said that she could snatch. She would ride with her father amongst horseback in the army and she would shoot out and snatch up captives from the opposite team and ride back to her opposite team opposite army <laughs> this isn't capture the flag um they said she did it as easily as a hawk snatching a chicken hmm. okay which would be kind of terrifying if you're facing down an army and all of a sudden some woman on horseback comes out grabs, grabs somebody you. and runs back <laughs> That would be terrifying. That would be terrifying. Honestly, though, I would never be in a position to be facing an army, so. Um, she was, so my favorite story about her, and I think the most famous one, is that there was a lot of pressure for her to get married. No shock there. That's a common theme with. Because she was just a little woman. Right. Well, here's the thing. She said, all right, cool, dad and everybody else. I will get married. To a man who can defeat me in wrestling. Okay. Did anyone defeat her in wrestling? No. Okay, then. They had to wager 100 horses. Okay. And if they won, then they got to marry her. Because she was basically a, a princess, essentially. Yeah, it would be, like, um, quite the honor to marry yes, her. Yes, and she, her father wanted her to be his successor. Oh, so, so she needed children for that. She would need, she would need a son... She would need a husband and children. But, you know, if you married if you married Kudalun, you could probably be the Khan. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they had to wager 100 horses as a bet that they could defeat her. She ended up with a herd of horses numbering over 10,000 and no husband. <laughs> That's fantastic. And the only reason she actually did end up getting married later in life because one of the issues was there was a lot of mounting pressure, but people started saying she was having an incestuous affair with her father. Oh, see that, like, clearly she probably was, I mean, we're not going to say for sure, but like, clearly she probably wasn't, but that's a way to get you to do what yeah. you want. Oh yeah, she, she was not, but people kept saying that because she was a woman who wasn't married, you know. Because if a woman's not married, it's clearly because she's having an incestuous relationship with her father. I bet Floyd um, would have had a field day. Exactly. Um, so she eventually did get married. One source said, so there are two different sources on her. One is Marco Polo. One is, um, I believe, an Arab explorer. I didn't write his name down, so I don't remember off the top of my head. One of them, the Arab explorer said that she fell in love with, I think, a Persian sultan or something. Kind of makes sense. Uh, that he would say that. No farmers the, for her. No. Um, while the other, while Marco Polo, I believe, said she got married just to some guy to stop the rumors. That made fair. Um, so I believe one, I don't, I can't, you know, personal opinion, I think she got married to a random guy to stop the rumors. I don't right. think she had this great romance with a Persian sultan or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I didn't write that stuff down because I didn't care about who she married because she's 
awesome. Yeah, like, we don't care about the We don't care stories. about the husband. Sorry. Um, but basically, she got married so that she got rid of these rumors and under mounting pressure. But she still wasn't ever defeated in wrestling. That's fantastic. Like, she just sat there and she was like, okay, I guess I have to marry. Yeah. And she got married. I, I like her. She didn't make him defeat her in wrestling. Um, so she was she was Kaidu's favorite. Supposedly he named her his successor, um, but that didn't happen because she was female. Right. Um, and they're not really sure what happened to her as far as her death. It might have been in battle because um, I think she was 40-something. 46. Okay, well, I'm glad she was at least a little bit older. Yeah. All right, so my next one is Artemisia the First. Oh, there um, was more than one? Yeah, I think there were at least two. The second one built this big, like, temple-y thing at Helicarnassus that is no longer there. Can I be the third? Yes. Yes. She's the queen of Caria. That is the Greek city-state that, like, encompasses where Helicarnassus is. And she actually... Watch out, Caria. I'm coming to be your Coming to be queen. the queen. And this was actually in 480 BC. So this is a very long time ago. Many, many moons. All right. Um, she fought as an ally of Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Oh, hey. Wow. I actually asked her that yesterday, so... Okay, he was the king of Persia, in case no one watched uh, 300. Is it 300? Right. Yeah. Where he was played by Rodrigo Santoro. Exactly. I'm just saying. So this is like during the second Persian invasion of Greece, clearly. And she actually, so she, hmm. so she sent five ships and she actually personally commanded them in two naval battles. I don't know if she fought in more naval battles or if these were the ones that she commanded in. It didn't say. But these are the battles of Artemisium. <laughs> You know, the Romans and the Greeks were really just top-notch at names. <laughs> they really were. Um, and Salamis, and these were both in 480. And we know the stuff that we know about her mostly from Herodotus. Is that how you say his name? I've heard Herodotus, but Herodotus. I imagine Herodotus is fine, too. Herodotus, Herodotus. Neither of us speak Greek, so. I can only say one word, and I can't say it on, the, on oh. this. So. <laughs> I can't say any is... Is Pita uh, a no, Ooh, F. Cristo is how you say thank you. Oh, okay. So there I know two words. I know two words. <laughs> Every day's a school day, as it Hope really likes to is. say. It really is. So the battle that she's most well known for is the Battle of Salamis. And Xerxes was basically told to go ahead and attack the Greek fleet under unfavorable conditions. And Artemisia was the only one of his commanders that was like, that's a bad idea. But, um... He didn't listen to her, of course. Well, obviously. That would have been too easy. Um, and went ahead and attacked. But she ended up earning his praise and respect for her leadership during this whole thing. I think probably also for standing up to him. But the Persian Navy was defeated at this point. So, But she was apparently a very good leader. I always think it's really interesting when they're like, you did a great job losing. I mean, it wasn't just her, clearly. But, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. That's. Um that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he is said to have said that she excelled above all other officers and he sent her a full set of Greek armor. Ooh. I know. And then he later asked her um, to give him some more advice, which I think is like good mm-hmm. because she was going to give you better advice than anybody else. Um, 
And basically it was, should he go back to Asia Minor and allow Mardinius, like another one of his commanders, to be in charge? And she said yes and said he should be able to be in charge of 300,000 Persians. He followed that advice, you know, to the Persian invasion of Greece. Um, but this is kind of where I start to get frustrated. Great. She gave you great advice. You said that she was the best of your commanders. So after the battle, he sent her to Ephesus in Turkey to look after his illegitimate children so you made her a nanny nothing wrong with being a nanny I know it pays well but like that that's you're my greatest war general can you be my nanny yeah do you think that would happen to any of the five-star generals in the U.S. right now I wouldn't let General Patton be my nanny that's the only only one General Patton would you would you be uh um, who was it? Uh, who was it? Was it Maddox that was the Secretary of Defense or whatever? He was a, he was a something in the Marine Corps yeah. in general. I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. The list of five-star generals that I can name is non-existent. I'm so sorry, except for but Patton, and he's dead. I can I mean, pretty much guarantee none of them became nannies. Yeah, unless this is what kindergarten cop or whatever. Yeah, but her story doesn't even get like better. It just gets worse, in my opinion. So we don't know what happened after she went to Ephesus to be a babysitter. Okay. But Photius um, repeated a legend about it. 13 centuries later, literally. Okay. I feel like I'm on SpongeBob where they're like two hours later. <laughs> 13 centuries later, apparently what happened to Artemisia is she fell in love with this guy called <sighs> Dardanus. And he ignored her. So there was something about how she blinded him while he was asleep or something, but he still didn't like her because why would you like someone that blinded you when you went to sleep? Anyway, so she was falling more and more and more in love with him. So then an oracle told her to jump off of the top of the rock of Lucas. Jumping off the top of this rock apparently cured you of the passion of love. Sappho also is said to have died by jumping off of this rock. Okay. Well, I mean, if it kills you, I guess you are cured. (laughs) Yeah. So she died when she jumped off the rock. Nice. What? Like, that is the story that you're going to stick to? Nothing else. Like, she just fell in love with somebody and he didn't like her back, so she killed herself. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel they treated Kudaloon. It was like, no, she fell madly in love with, like, this Persian con and... Because they can't be good in their own right. Yeah. They can only be good if they're married. Yeah. Um, so another person I researched that I actually got a little bit more information on was uh, Tomoe Gozen, who lived from 1157 to 1247, most likely. So you may notice that's about 90 years. Yeah, that's a significant amount of time. Um, she So in... Feudal Japan, you had the samurai class, which was the warrior class. And women in feudal Japan and even before were actually taught to defend their communities. Okay. Um, In case there weren't men around, they were off to war. Um, Women were taught um, to use the naginata, which is like a spear with a knife on the end, a uh, kaiken, and how to use tanto jutsu with the kaiken, which is a type of dagger. Um, And it was basically... 
So you had the spear for further away quarters and then close quarters with the kaiken. Okay. Um, and these women who trained in this were called uh, onabugesha, um, which is like defensive fighting. But there was another class of women called the onamusha, and Tomo, Tomoe Gozen was in onamusha. Okay. Um, and Tomoe Gozen is not her name. Gozen's like an honored title. And Tomoe was the name of the pattern of her armor because it was disrespectful to say a woman's given name. So the pattern on her armor was called Tomoe. So that's okay. why she was called uh, Tomoe Gozen. That's interesting. And she actually did not train with the Naginata and the Kaiken. She trained with bow and arrow and a sword. Um, and I really, she participated in the Genpei War from 1180 to 1185, which was a civil war in Japan between the Kyoto-based aristocratic Taira clan, who were symbolized with red, and the kind of backwater country folk, the Minamoto clan, uh, who were symbolized with white. So, you know, on the Japanese flag today, there's red and white. Yes. Um, and they also do that a lot in competitive events. One team is red and one team is white. Right. Kind of like we do shirts and skins, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because we just have to. We're too much all the time. So Yeah. Like, Her father was the foster father of one of the prominent lords of the Minamoto clan, uh, Kiso no uh, Yoshinaka. So her father was his foster father, okay. and her mother was his wet nurse. Um, and they, apparently she and Lord Yoshinaka had a thing, which I think is kind of weird because they were basically brother and sister. I think that if, I think this is also something that happens, like historical romance and stuff, that that's a very romance novel thing to like the the foster child or another child living in your house they yeah. like, get together that's a very like romance novel thing so i wonder if that's just been influenced over time yeah there are discussions as to whether or not she was like an attendant or a servant or if they were lovers or if she was some sort of concubine or wife to him maybe they're the real inspiration for why that's a thing in romance novels who knows maybe so let us know not entirely clear what their relationship was um, basically, they were they were close, is what I'm getting at there. Um, and they have a, there's a nice little description of her. Um, she was especially beautiful, with white skin, long hair, and charming features. She was also a remarkably strong archer, and as a swordsman, she was a warrior worth a thousand, ready to confront a demon or a god, mounted or on foot. She handled. Hold on. She handled broken horses, unbroken horses with superb skill. She rode unscathed down perilous descents. Whenever battle was imminent, Yoshinaka sent her out as his first captain. I have terrible handwriting. That's why I'm struggling. Same over. I'm blurry. That's why I have to type my notes most of the time because you don't. I couldn't read. Equipped them. with strong armor and oversized sword and a mighty bow, and she performed more deeds of valor than any of his other warriors. And she was essentially his uh, leading commander called Ippon no Taisho. And during the battle of uh, Yoko Takawara, she collected seven heads of mounted enemies. Ooh, okay. And during the 1183 battle of Tonamiyama, 
she led over a thousand cavalry to victory. Oh wow! Um, and you were talking about giving people credit for being the loser of a battle in 1184 in the Battle of Uchide Nohama. She led 300 against 6,000 of the Tyra Jesus. warriors, cavalry, essentially. Jesus. And she was one of the five survivors from her side. But people still gave her a lot of credit for surviving. Well, yeah, I would too. Um, and really, one of the big things that happened was, in that same year, 1184, was the Battle of Awazu. And so... This was sort of a fight within the Minamoto clan about who was going to rule because they were winning yeah. against the Taira. And so they started fighting against each other to see who would win. So Tomoe and Yoshinaka were on one side versus Yoshinaka's cousin, uh, Yoritomo, and his warrior, essentially his right-hand man, was uh, Yoshitsune. And... Basically, once again, there were only five survivors left of Yoshinaka's side, which was Tomoe's side. Uh, Yoshinaka did not want to die with a woman at his side. He was like, what would people say about me if I died with a woman at my side? Um, so he ordered her to leave. And she was like, yeah, sure thing. I will do that, boss. But first, I want to, I want to go out with a bang. So she rode into a group of like 30 enemy warriors and she wanted to face down their strongest opponent. So she faced down their strongest opponent, beheaded him, and then she got out of Dodge. I mean, smart woman. Bah. Um, but this is one of those things where no one is necessarily certain what happened to her. Uh, some say she lived for 91 years and became a nun, a Buddhist nun. Well... Don't make that face because it's better than all the other options. Oh, okay. Um, that or sound good. she was made a concubine to one of uh, Yoritomo's men. Or she collected the head of Yoshinaka, her lover, walked into the sea and drowned herself. So I prefer Buddhist nun. Yeah, I hope she. I living hope she for ninety-one years. Nun, yeah. Um, and. She also inspired future female warriors such as Nakano Takeko, um, 1847 to 1868. She fought during the Boshin Civil War. Okay. Um, women were not permitted to fight, but she gathered up a whole bunch of female warriors and fought anyways. Um, and she actually managed to kill seven soldiers with her Naginata before she was killed by being shot. She rode into battle with traditional weapons against rifles and yeah. got shot. Um, but people used to think that this was really rare, female warriors, but actually archaeological evidence has started to point, has pointed to that there were actually a lot more than we thought, and they were just excluded from history. Shocker of all shockers, well, I know. that's why you still don't really hear about, I mean, like, at this point, I don't know, like, I know women now can join most militaries, like, yeah. realistically, but I also know that, or I think I could be wrong, they often don't let women into combat situations. Correct. Like, the Marine Corps doesn't let, put women in combat. Yes. The only, like, female soldiers that I can think of off the top of my head that go into combat situations are Israeli. Yeah. Everyone serves in the Israeli military. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't have a choice. But... Well, and a lot of militaries around the world who have, like, a mandatory... 
serving time, it only applies to men. I mean, we have like South Korea. We have a selective service as well, uh, and, and only, only men have to, to register. Men. Ukraine is the same way. Men serve like is it like two years? I think it's not a very long time. Yeah, but I'm sure if you're at war, it's eons. But yeah, yeah, that's and that's so frustrating. Like you just wipe them off the historical record and pretend like they didn't exist. So they actually. We have evidence here that they, they excavated the 1580 Battle of Senban. Hold on. I think I, I think I wrote Matsubaro. Matsubaro. Sorry, I have really bad handwriting. Um, 35 out of the 105 buried there were female. Hmm. So That's a lot. I mean, that's a, third. a significant point, yeah. Um, and two other battlefields. They did. This is all DNA testing. Uh, two other battlefields showed basically the same distribution. Like one hmm. third of the warriors are women. And this is, this is in Japan. Um, I wonder when things, well, I don't know what Confucianism. military is. Okay, I was like, I wonder when things started changing. Confucianism from China. That makes sense. Most likely. Because um, during, because even pre-feudal era, pre-samurai, women were trained in defense. Right. Um, and they actually would take their, like, naginata with them when they got married hmm. um, to their new family. That's really interesting. So... It's annoying um, that colonialism and Confucianism and yeah, those combinations. That in the developed world or the first world, um, which isn't. Never mind. That's a rant for another day. It's not a thing anymore. But like, women are still supposed to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Yeah, which is we're just breaking stereotypes left and right over here. Um, I kind of yeah, you've to, got on slides so. <laughs> I don't only cook for me. Um, I did want to have just like a little discussion because I, I noticed some similarities when you were talking and I noticed when I looked these things up, like we don't know a lot about their lives. No, before or after. Before or after. And it seems like most of these stories end with like a tragic romance. Yeah. And um, Shakespeare didn't write these people's lives. So yeah. it's, I find it difficult to believe that every single female warrior that there ever was that was written about the reason that, like, they died or something was because they actually loved a man. And yeah. uh, it just doesn't work out. And that, I think that's such a disservice to these people. Oh, yeah. It's such a disservice to people that were giving up their lives, basically. Because, yeah. I mean, especially if you're a soldier in, like, ancient Greece or feudal Japan or anything else. Like, I mean, there's a large chance that you're not going to come home. I would be so mad if, you know, I was a warrior and found out that they remembered me for a tragic love story at the end that didn't even that wasn't that even didn't real even like a made-up love story or like well she just couldn't take their defeats so she just killed herself like i mean maybe like i that's that's probably more of a possibility than this romance and i you know i love a good romance but like i don't want to remember what do they remember like genghis khan for right I mean, for having like common DNA from every like every seven well, people yeah, or something. That's true. So let's let's throw Genghis Khan out the window. But you know, like, what do they remember Patton for? Right. But I mean, Genghis Khan, his wife, I believe his wife was Borta. Yeah. I mean, he had a romance because he he went and if I'm remembering, I think it's Genghis and not Kubla. Yeah, it's Genghis. He Borta was his wife, and she got kidnapped by another group. And he went, like, he went after them and saved her. Oh. 
And so he had a romance, but that's not what people remember him from. And not only that, when he got her back, she was pregnant. But he stayed with her. Well, yeah. I mean, it yeah. wasn't really her choice, right? No, that's um, I know, but you know that that's a pretty common thing yeah. that men that well, like historically men will be like, bah. And he basically took the child as his own. I've, you know, and it, it, there's a possibility it could have been Genghis's, right. but there's also a possibility it could have not been Genghis's. But he still took it as his own child. It's sad when you have to stay good on him for being an okay person, right? But well, I mean, like. Okay, it's relative. But I mean, the point here is that he had like a romance. This was early yeah. before he became super warlord. Yeah. But we remember him for his warrior status. I think one of the only men that I can that I like just springs to mind that you remember for a romance is Paris. He wasn't a warrior though. I was about to say, but we remember him as a coward. Yeah, that's true. So, like they think of they think of Paris as a coward. But you, his romance was, like, center stage. But Achilles had a romance. Hector had a romance. Yeah. Andromache. I, I just enjoy her name a lot. Um, and Achilles possibly had several romances. Yeah, like, Achilles had a kid. Yeah. He had Briseis, and he had Patroclus, and that girl that he had the kid with in, uh, wherever. Yeah. I don't, I, it's, and it's not in my head, but. You know, Alexander the Great. Romance. Romance. But that's not what we remember any of them by. Lewis and Clark were probably both married. I mean, just to throw some, like, familiar names in there. like People don't know Alexander the Great? I mean, that's... I mean, you know, I think sometimes... Like, do a lot of people know him? Yes. But there will be that one person that is like, I don't know who any of those people are. But think about the difference between, like, Ivan the Great and Ivan the Terrible and Catherine the Great. Who's remembered for romances oh, yeah she is remembered for romances and rumors marie antoinette yeah. as well for her affairs and yep. rumors cleopatra yep who led armies too but nobody remembers caesar that way no or mark anthony even yeah even though mark anthony was kind of an idiot like <laughs> yeah i mean like in all fairness and the only worthwhile thing he ever did was hook up with cleopatra yeah like because she was smart yeah she had to be. She had to be just to survive her childhood. Yeah, like, she was smart and she was powerful. She was ruthless. Yeah, there was what the like when people were delivering her messages and they had to bow. They were afraid that she would stab them in the throat. That got dark fast. But yeah, I think that's. I think that's the case. No, with, I just. I was thinking. Now I have a new hero. <laughs> right. I think. Like I think that's the case with so many like women throughout history. Is that people are they like, get reduced to romance. They had these great romances, and it's like, okay, but that, like, that's not all they did. That's I'm, why I really like Judy Jean, because yeah. she died unmarried. 10,000 horses, baby. No, 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 no that was Kudaloon. Oh, I was like, 10,000 horses. I do baby. like Kudaloon, though, too, but they tried to reduce her to falling in love. and Yeah, I mean, that's what it always is. I wonder if it's, I wonder, like, we grew up in the age of, like, Disney princesses and whatnot, so, like that love story thing has always been there for us. Like, yeah. you have these, like, great people. Like, you have, like, Mulan, But I right? still call bullcrap on this stuff. Yeah. But, like, you know what I mean? You have, like, Mulan, who was this great warrior and blah, 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 but then she, like, got married at the end and lived happily ever after. Um, I'm not saying she was Which Mulan did actually yeah. have a happily ever after. Yeah, she and just, she used to carry her baby into battle. Yeah, she just went home, and she's, like, cool. But I think that... I lived. Like, as children, we were taught, like... 
it doesn't matter how great you are. You should just get married at the end. And I don't think that's the fault of our parents. I think that that's, like, the media and everything else that did that to us. But you have to wonder, what was it like in, like, the 1700s? Were they telling the same stories about, like... Oh, I'm sure. People running off and getting married. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I guess that is true. I mean, we have stories from back then. I will also say, and you know, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot of historical romance, and one of the things, and this bothers me so much, is you have this female character that's meant to be so strong, but then, like, all she wants to do is get married and be a wife and mother and run her own house. You can't have any other ambitions. Yeah, I know. And then, like, the ones that... Um, or like scholars or something else they're meant to, they're wallflowers and like all you know yeah but it's like i think especially in like especially now especially in 2021 and especially with like how popular things like that are getting like yeah. you need other that you don't need to be like there are other aspirations to have and i don't say you can't aspire to be a wife or a mother and ride into battle with the baby your baby yeah, on your back but there's other things to life than just like being married yeah and having babies and like that's I think that's something that kids are starting to get now, but I think a lot of people that I went to school with had kids in high school. Like, mm. you're still a kid. I don't know. I, I, feel like a, I feel like even now, a lot of times, that idea is sort of pushed at you. Well, yeah, I think that's continuously pushed at you, but, um, you know, there are a lot. We didn't discuss any of them this time because, you know, we said we have to limit it because we talk too much. You know, there are stories of women riding into battle eight months pregnant or with a baby on their back. You know, you can be a warrior and a mother. Yeah, definitely. Like, they're not exclusionary. No, definitely not. But I think that it's extremely frustrating that we have five women here and most of their lives are reduced. Most of them were reduced to the romance that they had. A failed romance at that. Most of them are a failed romance or, you know, or suicide. (laughs) Or both. Yeah. And that's... A failed romance that led to suicide because yeah. they couldn't possibly live without the man. Yeah. Like, and that's just, that's just frustrating and... But how many men do that? How many stories about men do we hear their beloved dies and then they commit suicide? Romeo. They both commit suicide. And that's not, it's not even real. No. It's not even real. So that's definitely something to think about as well, I think, is when you read about... I mean, if you're anything like us, you probably look things up all the time. So when you read about these people, you have to know that there was more to their lives than some crappy legend about them jumping off the true love rock. Yeah, and you definitely have to have a critical eye towards these things. Like, is this a narrative that was created for the sake of creating a story or is this historical record? And did it happen at the time? Like, did, yeah. was it written down at the time or was it written down 1,300 years later? Right, because that's an issue that you run into as well. Um, with, like, uh, Judy Jean, she, like, some of the stuff was written down during her time, but a lot of it was written way later, like, you know, being nine feet tall. Yeah. I want you to look at these ideas of them throwing themselves off of a love rock and suicide as skeptically as you would that this woman was nine feet tall had three feet long breasts that she threw over her back yeah yeah like and rode into battle look at it with the same amount of skepticism yeah because it's i mean chances are somewhat exaggerated yeah just somewhat we'll leave it at that but yeah look at it critically but do look at it because it's it's important oh yeah 
So but always keep a critical eye when you're examining history. Especially like very, well, I was going to say especially very old history, but at this point, very new history as well, like yeah. 10 to 15 years ago. History is always written by the victor. So always keep that in mind because if they're going to say, she was awful. History was written by the patriarchy. Yeah, it really was, though. <laughs> that's well, actually true, yes. Well, I guess that's all I have. What about you? Down with patriarchy? Yeah. Death to the patriarchy. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Fight the patriarchy. Bye.